Word of God to intersect in our lives in exactly the way that you desire for it to happen. Lord, I pray again that the truth of your Word would be so easy to understand that we couldn't miss it. Lord, you are the one that supersedes language barriers. And I just pray for those to whom English is their second language that, Lord, you will bless them with the ability to understand even as this person speaks English. God, I pray for the filling and the anointing of your spirit, not only upon your servant as he speaks your word, but upon this place and upon our hearts. Lord, fall upon us, please, and speak your word and bring glory to your name and to your name alone. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ against the enemy. We stand in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and not our own. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we would bind the powers of the evil one. And your word says that whatsoever things are bound on this earth will be already bound in heaven. And we pray, God, the loosing of your spirit in our midst, where you say that whatsoever things are loosed in heaven will be loosed upon this earth. And so, God, come and do in our midst what only you can. And I pray this to the glory of Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. One of the things I enjoyed doing um, when we were living back in Minnesota was I liked to snowshoe. Now, you guys, we don't know how good we have it there. My, one of my kids wrote me the other morning on WhatsApp that it was minus 22 Fahrenheit when they woke up. My son-in-law works outside as a carpenter, and it's supposed to be 30 degrees Fahrenheit below zero. Ah, we have it very good here in Hong Kong. This is, we can stand this. But one of the things I enjoyed doing was I enjoyed snowshoeing. Snowshoeing, you put on these big things underneath your boots and it enables you to walk on top of the snow rather than falling down deep because sometimes the snow is up to, up to the middle part of your, of, your, of your legs. And so you walk on top of that. And one of the places that I would go snowshoeing, it was a, it was a big woods and I would love to go there, especially after a, a fresh snow. It would be just like a winter wonderland in there. And one of the things I noticed in my time walking through the forest was that many times I would see trees and they, and they would be about middle way up, sometimes three quarters of the way up, and they would just be pushed over. There would, there would have been a windstorm that would have come through there, and it just snapped the tree off. And one of the things that you saw in every single one of those trees that was snapped off was on the outside of that tree, it looked healthy. But when the tree was snapped over, wherever it was snapped over, a lot of times it was hollow. It was hollow on the inside. There was disease that had gotten into there. And so the outside of the tree looked good. But when it was shown for what it truly was, it was hollow on the inside. What I want to talk this morning about is hollow spirituality. Because in the last days, we're talking about this in this whole series about what's next. Are we living in the the last days? And what we're saying is that what we're looking at is what are some of those signs of those last days? And one of the signs of the last days is that there will be a lot of hollow spirituality. It looks good on the outside. It sounds good on the outside. But when it's put to the test, it won't stand. It won't stand. And why is it that it won't stand? Let's go back to what, we're, what we started out here when Paul is talking to Timothy. And remember, Paul is talking to Timothy. He's a young pastor. He's in the city of Ephesus. We talked about last week that Ephesus was the Hong Kong of that, of that area. It was the fourth largest city at that time. All roads led to Rome, but they led through Ephesus. Ephesus was the banking center. Ephesus was the political center. Ephesus was the center for the worship of the goddess Diana or, uh, and 
They had a huge temple there. Ephesus was the place you went to hide out. If you were running from the authorities, you went to Ephesus, an incredibly immoral city at this time. And Paul established a church there, a church with an incredible pedigree of pastors at this time. Paul was the first pastor. He's followed by Priscilla and Aquila, He's followed, who are followed by Apollos, who was the Ralvi Zacharias of his day. Now, now comes Timothy, and who will follow Timothy is the Apostle John. I mean, talk about an incredible church. But yet Jesus will say to that church in Revelation, he says, you have lost your first love. There was something going on, and, and Paul here is warning Peter ahead of time. He said, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. And notice what he says. He says, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Here's why. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. One of the things, one of the signs of the last days is that men will not put up with sound doctrine. Why? Why don't people put up with sound doctrine? What do you think? Let me just ask you. Why do you think that people don't want to put up with sound doctrine? We're going to define what sound doctrine here is in just a second. What do you think? You, you can talk back to me. It's not convenient. What did you say, John? What's that? Doesn't suit them. Doesn't suit their lifestyle. It's not convenient. What else? Yeah, boring. Yeah, I pray that I'm never boring lavender. I, I pray. That, yeah, I sat in church for years, and it's like, oh my goodness. And I realize you don't have to be boring, that the Word of God is living and it's powerful. So it doesn't meet our lifestyle. It, it, it's boring. It, it's not convenient. We live in a feel-good society, don't we? And if we don't like what we're hearing, we just turn the channel. We find something else that, that suits our, our means. And Paul is saying here to young Timothy, he's saying, you preach the word. You make sure that the word is, is, sound, is, is the center part of what it is that you're teaching. The reason that people will, in these days, people will leave sound doctrine. They will turn away from it. But, but it, it bears some, um, some explanation. What is sound doctrine? What does Paul mean when he says there that people will not put up with it? That they will not put up with sound doctrine? Sound doctrine is this. It is the authoritative truth of God. It's, 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 it's not just truth. Jesus says in John 17, 17, He says, Father, sanctify them. Sanctification literally means set them apart. Father, set them apart by your word. Because your word is what? It's truth. But God's word is not just truth. It is authoritative truth. There, there, and when God speaks, when God speaks, His Word carries authority. When I'm listening to God's Word, I need to do something with what it is that I hear. And one of the things we don't like in this world is we don't like people telling us what to do. I pretty much know what I should do with my life, and I don't need anybody to tell me, thank you, what I should be doing with my life, especially you, Pastor. And sometimes we don't like what God's word says because maybe it's hitting too close to our hearts. Sound doctrine is not just, not just truth, but it is God's word, of, it's, it's God's word that leads to eternal life. John 6, 68. 
Jesus has just finished the, the feeding of the 5,000, and he shared with, with many of his disciples, this was more than just the 12, he shared with his disciples some pretty tough teaching. And when they heard it, a lot of them deserted him. And Jesus turned to his disciples and said, Are you also going to leave? And they said to him, Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of what? What does it say there? Of eternal life. This book that we hold in our hands is not just a dusty old book, but within this book are are the very words of God. Words that lead to eternal life. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because what? It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, for the Jew and then for the Gentile. So it's not only truth, it's authoritative truth. And it's not only authoritative truth, it is the very words of God that lead towards eternal life. But not only is it that, it is also, in, in, in 2 Timothy 3.16, it is God-breathed. That is so important because what I've heard people say from time to time is, well, the Bible is just a bunch of stories made up by, made up by people. No, 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 no. All Scripture is what? It is God-breathed. Go to the next slide because this is huge. It says in, in 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. A great example of that is you look at the Scriptures. In the Old Testament is a prophet by the name of Amos. Amos was a farmer. His style of Hebrew is very, very basic. Very basic. You go to the New Testament and you read the book of Hebrews, and we're not quite sure who wrote the book of Hebrews, but the book of Hebrews, the Greek that it's there, it's some of the best that's written. So that person who wrote Hebrews must have been a scholar. Amos said that he's just a farmer. I mean, he never, he never wanted to be a prophet. It was never something that he aspired to, but God called him. But God took both of their styles and led them to write in their style but the very words that they wrote, they were inspired by God. Why is that so important? Because when we hear the word of God, hear this. When we hear the word of God, God is seeking to communicate truth to our hearts. Not to the guy sitting next to you or the lady sitting next God is seeking to communicate truth to you. And when I hear truth, Sometimes I recoil from the truth, don't I? But sometimes truth hits us right between the eyes, and I have to make a decision. What am I going to do with this truth that I hear? What am I going to do with with this truth that I hear? And you know, this morning, God may be speaking to your heart, and God may may have been speaking to your heart all week long, and you come here and it's like, oh my goodness, does God ever leave me alone? Do you know what one of the signs that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life? is he doesn't leave you alone. If there's something going on in your life that he doesn't, that grieves the Father, he's going to keep on that issue in your life. Maybe it is an issue of telling the truth. You tend to stretch the truth. Maybe what he's talking about is, guys, your attitude towards your wife or your family. You've got, you got time for everything else, but no time for your family. Or ladies, maybe God is speaking to you about the time this past week when you and your husband, you weren't getting along and you had a 
rather heated conversation, and in the midst of that conversation, you rolled your eyes and you said some things, and, you, and your child was right there standing next to you. Ladies, do you realize that you're teaching your, your daughters and kids how to speak to your husband in a way you shouldn't? And maybe God is talking to you about, maybe God is talking about a business practice or an attitude that you have towards your boss or something. I don't know what it is. But I know this, that the Holy Spirit is relentless in his pursuit of us to draw us and to shape us and mold us into the image of God. And when we hear God's truth, and when we read God's truth, there is an obligation on our part to respond to that truth. Now hear this. If you have a problem obeying God's word, if you have a problem obeying God's word, you do not have an obedience problem. You have a love problem. John 14, 21 says this. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Did you catch that? Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. If you're having trouble obeying God, you don't have an obedience problem. You have a love problem. Because if you truly love God, when he asks of you for something, when he asks for you to put something down, when he asks for you to take something up, when he asks for you to to go and do something for him, if you truly love him, what is the response? It is a response of obedience. If you're having trouble obeying God, you don't have an obedience problem, you have a love problem. And going back and saying, and taking an inventory of our lives, saying, God, I know where it is. I know what it is that you've been saying. And God, this is really hard for me to do. It might mean you have to apologize to your your wife. Well, we don't do that in Chinese culture. The scriptures supersede culture. Maybe what God is asking you to do is to begin to start praying for your boss. Or God is asking you to begin to be honest in some of your dealings with other people. I don't know what it is. Maybe God is saying, guys to stop looking at pornography on the internet. I don't know. But whatever it is that God lays his hand on, it's out of deepest love that we respond to him. If you have trouble obeying God, it's not an obedience problem, it's a love problem. Well, it goes on. It goes on. So just going back, just really quickly, God's word is truth. And it's not just truth, it's authoritative truth. God's words are the very words of of life because they're God-breathed. And not only are they God-breathed, but they have eternal power, power to change lives as well. As well, we read on, and it says in Hebrews 4.12 that the word of God is living and sharper, living and active. This isn't just a dull, dusty old book. The scriptures that we pick up, the scriptures that that I've called you to read during the day, and I pray that you've done that. I pray that you have gotten one of those apps. I pray that you've gotten started in that practice of reading God's Word. Why? Because it's a living document. It's active. It's powerful. Do you ever notice that sometimes God's Word, it just seems to cut down into your heart? Like I told you this story. Had a guy one day after church, you know, you're doing the holy handshake at the back of the church, and, and this guy comes up to me and he's waiting around. He says, you talk to my wife. I said, excuse me? He said, You've been talking to my wife. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you've been talking to my wife. 
And I said, what did you mean? And he said, you wouldn't have known. <clears throat> he said, you wouldn't have known to say today what you did had you not spoken to, your, to my wife. And I was like, <clears throat> dude. <clears throat> I said, dude, it's like, I didn't talk to your wife. Obviously, the Holy Spirit has been speaking to your heart about what it is. That's the word of God. It's living and it's active. Thanks, Doug. It's living and it's active. And it's powerful. It's powerful. Sometimes we think as we read God's word that, okay, this doesn't pertain to me. But you think about those who you might be praying for. Every one of the promises of God that he has in his scriptures, does he have... Does he intend to keep every one of those promises? Okay, that's a rhetorical question, Brian. But does God intend to keep every one of the promises that he's made in his word? Absolutely he does. Can you go back to those promises that God has made? For some of you, you took a child and you brought them up here and you had, a, you had God pray, you, you had the pastor pray over that child and dedicate that child. That child has said to you, mom and dad, hang it on your beak. I don't want to have anything more to do with your God. I don't want to have anything more to do with your church. And they walk away. And you say, God, I dedicated that child to you. I gave that child to you. God, now why? Can you go back to God and just say, God, I remember the day when I dedicated that child before you. And God, you see where they're at, but God, I gave them to you. I entrusted them into your hands. Lord, I believe that you are the one that can bring them back. Can we pray prayers like that? How about for a spouse who doesn't know Christ? How about for somebody who's just walking away? Can we pray those prayers and pray believing that God loves them? and believing that God desires to bring them. God's word says that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's desire. Can we pray, God, according to your will? It is one thing to pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Here's where it meets the road. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. God, in this, my child's life, in my husband's life, in my dad's life, God, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Does God's word have power? It does. It does. And when we pray, it's important too to remember to pray. You can pray back God's word to him. It's living, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And Paul goes on, he says, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine and said to suit their own desires. That, that's a, it, the word desires there, it, it's actually lustful desires. To suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Do we see that today? I talked to you about that the first Sunday we had this series. There's a church in the United States, 20,000 people every single Sunday. A listenership on TV of 20 million people every Sunday. This guy's written books, but he never once talks about sin. He never once deals with the cross. What he deals with and what he tells them is that God wants you to be healthy. God wants you to be wealthy. That's what he tells them. You think that's a message people want to hear? They don't want to hear about sin. They don't want to have to hear about dealing with that. Yeah, that's a good message. I want to hear that. And they will gather around them. And it's happening today. It happens today. And it says, they will not put up with sound doctrine, but they will turn their ears aside, ears away from the truth and turn aside to mystery, to, to myths. 
that word to turn aside is a, it, it's a word that, it, it's a harsh word. It's a word that literally means to wrench from the socket. And he says they'll turn aside. They're going to turn away from, and they're going to turn aside to mysteries. Remember, who is Paul talking to at this point? He's talking to young Timothy, but who is Timothy? Timothy's the pastor of a church. Who's this message directed towards? The church. That's who that's directed at. And he said, there's coming a day, Paul, uh, Timothy, when men will not put up with sound doctrine. But he said, you, you preach the word. You preach the word in season and out of season. You know, the enemy's tactics to, to derail us have not changed. They're twofold. In, in the life of a person who is not a believer, the tactic of the enemy is to cause the unsaved to believe that they are saved. How, how do they do that? They do it by, he, he does that by, well, just go to church. Just, just go to church. Just do some good stuff. Put some money in the offering. Maybe sing in the choir. Just do something for the church, and you'll be a Christian. It's amazing. In 30 years of ministry, every time, every time, well, maybe one time I didn't, but almost every time that I've done a funeral, that person could have been a scoundrel all their life. But as we stand there at the funeral, well, I know he's in a better place. How do you know that? You don't know, do you know that there are going to be a lot of people, and I pray, please, from my heart, I pray that it's not us. But there are going to be those people on that day that we stand before God that are going to be disappointed for eternity. Why? What does it say in Matthew chapter 7? Matthew chapter 7 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons and perform miracles? And then he will tell them plainly, I never knew you. And then those words that will be, be seared in their ears for eternity, away from me, you evildoers, I never knew you. One of the tactics of the evil one is to cause the unsaved to believe that they are saved. Listen, if you don't know Christ, today is a great day to make a decision because is Jesus going to return? Count on it. There's one of his promises. Behold, I am coming soon. When is soon in the economy of God? We don't know, but we know his promise. It is not enough to simply attend church. It is not enough to simply sing in the choir. It is not enough to just do, do nice things. Because there will be many in this world who will be disappointed on this day. And God said He does not delight in the death of the wicked. God desires rather that all should come to repentance. If you don't know Christ, today would be a great day to meet Him. Because He is going to return and we need to be ready. The second tactic of the enemy is to cause the saved to believe that they're not saved, to doubt their salvation. How does he do that? Through accusation. Remember, he is the accuser. He stands before the Father and he accuses the, accuses the brethren. How does he do that? Are you kidding me? You're a Christian? I saw when your wife went to bed what you looked at on the Internet. You call yourself a Christian? I saw, I saw what you did when that guy cut you off in traffic, that finger that went up in the air after that person went by you. I saw what you did. 
I saw how you fudged on your taxes. You, you, you kidding me? You go to church, you put on the happy face, and you call yourself a Christian. You can't be a Christian. And all kinds of other accusations that come. But remember, hear this. Hear this. Your salvation is not based on what you've done. Your salvation is not based upon what you've done. Hear this so well, because here's, here's the thing. Your salvation is based upon what Christ did for you, and it began at the cross. When Christ, let's just go back over. In John chapter 6, we read that no one comes to the Father unless the one who sent me draws him. God is pursuing you. If you don't know Christ and you're here today, it's not by coincidence. God is pursuing you to have a relationship with you, a love relationship, a relationship that is real, that is personal, and is based upon His love. God is pursuing you. Even if you are a believer, God is still pursuing you to have an even deeper relationship with Him. He is pursuing you. He is the one who wooed you to His side. side. If you've prayed to receive Christ, He was the one who opened your heart. Remember in the book of Acts, Lydia's heart was open to respond. The Holy Spirit opened her heart. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings about the conviction that I'm not a believer and that I need to pray to receive Christ. Even the faith that it took for you to receive Christ was a gift from God. Why am I frothing at the mouth about this? Because sometimes we believe that we've lost our salvation. Listen, if you didn't do anything to earn your salvation, then what do you do to lose your salvation? Because Jesus says emphatically, in the Greek it's emphatic, All those that come to me, I will in no way cast them out. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And on the last day, Jesus says, I will raise them up. Those are promises from God. Because here your faith rests in three very secure things. Your faith, first of all, rests in the mercy of God. I love this verse in Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Let me make sure I didn't miss something. Yeah, your, your faith is secure in the mercy of God. Titus chapter 3, verse 4 and 5 says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. What does it say? He saved us. He saved us. Not because of the righteous things that we have done, but because of what? His mercy. When the love and kindness of God appeared, He saved us. Not because of the righteous things that we've done, but because of His mercy. All the righteous things, all the good things that we do, they don't matter unless we have prayed to receive Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it says this, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. Your faith stands secure in the mercy of God. It was God's mercy that drew you. It was God's mercy that opened up your heart. It was God's mercy that gave you the faith. And it is God's mercy that sustains you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Your faith is secure in the mercy of God. Your faith is also secure in the promises of God. John 6.44 says that no one comes to the Father unless the one who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on that last day. There's a promise from God. That we come to the Father on what basis? On the wooing. On the wooing of the Holy Spirit. And he says, on that last day, I will raise him up. The second thing we see, John 16, 8. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin. Eh, That is not the right scripture. Sorry about that one. 
John 1.12, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Is that a promise from God? A promise you can take to the bank. He says, although, he says, whoever receives him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. When you prayed to receive Jesus Christ, your eternal status changed. Your, your, your status for eternity changed. You went from one account. I'm going to be talking about this in the, a few weeks. But you went from one account. This is where you were. God picked you up. God put all of his righteousness. God put all of himself into you and brought you from over here and put you over here into this account. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, and God made you alive. The very promises of God. Can you rest upon the promises of God? Your salvation is secure. Your faith is secure in the mercy of God. Your salvation is secure in the promises of God. And lastly, your salvation is secure in the very in the ongoing work of God. Let me just give you a couple more scriptures that deal with promises. John 6, 37, All the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. There is nothing you can do to make God love you any more. There is nothing you can do to make God love you any less. He is not pleased with sin. He is not pleased with sin. He is not pleased when we, when we sin and we use grace in a cheap way. We just, okay, well, I can go back and ask God. To, I can sin and sin and sin and just go back and ask God to forgive me because he said he would. That's cheap grace. That's cheap grace. But we have this promise that when we do sin, that we can go back to God and we can ask him to forgive and know that he will forgive us of that sin. We have this promise as well that God says, it's not his will that we be drunk with wine, but that we be filled with his spirit. We have the promise that God says, it's his will that we be filled with his spirit. Can I ask for that filling of the Holy Spirit and know that I receive it? I can. One last thing about promises. John 6, 39, all, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none and of all that he has given me, but raise them up on that last day. Your promise and your salvation is secure in the mercy of God, but also in the promises of God. One last thing, and then we're, we're rounding the bend. Our, your faith is secure in the ongoing work of God. The ongoing work of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Did you catch that? Whose power that is at work within us? Okay, we got like 10 minutes to noon. We're still alive here. Whose power is at work within us? God's power. The very power of God. He says, now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more. There's a lot of things I can think of. But he says immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. The ongoing work of Christ in our lives. He says in 2 Corinthians as well, this one isn't up there, but he said he will make all of his grace abound in you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. When you become a Christian, it's not like a baby. When a baby's born, we don't put it in the crib and say, Grow! We come alongside of it and we nurture it and we help it to grow in the same way that when you become a Christian, God takes ownership of that and he seeks to work in your life to make and to shape you into a Christ follower. And he said, I'll make my grace abound in you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And then Jude 24 says this, Now to him who is able to keep you from falling 
and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. That's huge. I remember a few years ago, um, we were getting ready to go to Cambodia, and I got a telephone call from this guy. His name is Davis. I knew that he was making eyes at my daughter, and so he, when, he, when he called me, I thought, okay, I know what this is about. And you guys, some of you have, have teenage girls or your, your daughters are still young. Yeah, one of these days, a knuckle-dragger is going to come up to your door and he's going he's to ask you about your daughter. This guy called me, and I knew what he wanted. He wanted to talk. He was 26 years old, and he wanted to talk about dating my, my daughter. I thought, good for you, good for you. You're 26. You could have just started dating her, but you, you had the decency to ask. And so we knew going over there, and Becca's like, be nice, be nice to him. I said, I will be nice, but I have a few very pointed questions that I'm, I'm, I'm putting my Ferrari into his hands. I'm putting my uh, precious gem into his hands. And I want to make sure of a few things before I, I give my approval on that. You know, and when he came and we had, we had breakfast together, and yeah, I was looking him over, I was listening to the things that he was saying. And sometimes we feel like, and the day that we stand before God, God's going to give us kind of one of these like, yeah, all right. And that is nothing farther from the truth. Did you catch what he says here? He says, to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. One day you will be introduced to the Father. You will be introduced to the Father on the arm of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one that you put your faith and your trust in. And when you are introduced to the Father, it will be what? Without blemish and with great joy. Father, let me introduce to you. And you put your name there. Your faith is secure. The tactic of the enemy... <clears throat> the tactic of the enemy... Oh, brother, <clears throat> just to get you to camp, not be able to talk. <clears throat> Excuse me. The enemy toward, toward the saved is to cause them to doubt their salvation. Your faith is secure. Your faith is secured in the mercy of God, in the promises of God, and in the ongoing work of God. You did nothing to earn your salvation. You do nothing to lose your salvation. God is the one, that ongoing work in your life. And I know for some of you, this has been really basic stuff. It's like we know, yeah, yeah, we, we know that the Bible is all these things. But it doesn't hurt to be refreshed from time to time on what God's word truly is. Because we need to be a people. One of the signs we talked about last week, one of the signs of a healthy church is that we love one another. We deal with conflict in a God-honoring way, in a God-honoring time. And as well, this week I would say, one of the ways in which we show that we're a healthy church is that God's word is something that we love. It isn't just something that we partake of on Sunday morning, but it's something that we come. We don't come to church to worship. We come to church worshiping. We don't come to church to just simply hear a message, kind of soak it up like a sponge and walk out of here with it you know, on a Sunday morning. You eat more than once in a week, and we should be spending time in God's word as well. Why? Because it's living, it's active, it's powerful. And God is seeking to communicate truth to you through his word. Amen? Because there's coming a time when men will not put up with it. I pray, AIC, I pray that we never, even when the word touches our heart and makes us feel a little uncomfortable, I pray that when it does, 
that we say, God, okay, you hit me between the eyes today. Help me to deal with what it is that you're talking about. God, help me to grow in the areas that you want me to grow. Help me to become what you want me to become. And will he do that? He promised he would. He promised he would. Let's go to the Lord. Father, thank you again for the truth of your word this morning. And Lord, it is my deepest prayer that if we don't know Christ, and for some of us here, that that may be the situation. The last thing we want to hear as we stand before you is, I never knew you. And God, the way that we know, we know where our eternity is, is to be is if we've taken that step of asking you to be our personal Savior. If you've never prayed to receive Christ this morning, every head bow, every eye closed, if you've never prayed to receive Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to pray to receive him. If you want to do that, I want you to simply raise up your hand and I want to have a word of prayer with you to pray to receive Christ. Father, I thank you as well. I thank you as well that, God, you are the one that wooed us to your side. You are the one that opened our heart to respond to you. You are the one who brought about the conviction of our need for you. And you are the one who even gave us the faith to put our trust in you. You're the one that continually walks alongside and moves in and throughout our lives, shaping and molding us into the children of God that you desire for us to be. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. And I pray that, Father, you would birth in our hearts and in this precious congregation a deep and abiding love for your truth. God, I don't know what's going on in, our, in, in the lives of the people who are sitting here, but you do. And you deeply love us. And you are deeply committed to each and every one of us. And Lord, for some of us, we came in here today carrying some pretty big burdens. And you're the one who's made the promise, cast all your anxiety upon you because you care for us. For some of us, our shoulders are not big enough to carry the things in here that we carried in here. And I pray that, Lord, we would lay them at your feet. Lord, for others of us, you've been speaking to our hearts. And we don't have an obedience problem. We have a love problem. And in deepest love, you are calling us to lay things on the altar. In deepest love, you are calling us to pick things up and to walk in the way that you're calling us to walk. God, I pray that however you have spoken to our hearts this morning, that, Lord, we in obedience and deepest love will move in the direction that you are calling us or to move away from whatever it is you're calling us away from. God, thank you. Thank you for the ability to still teach your word and to preach your word. And I pray that, God, in the heart of your servant, I will never turn to the left or to the right from the truth of your word, but will always preach your word in season and out of season so that you're glorified and so we are built up in you. And I pray this to the glory of Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's been good to be with you this morning. It has been a joy. I love to preach. And especially on a message like this, that we can encourage one another with it. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord instill in your hearts a deep and lasting and abiding love for him. I pray this in Jesus' name.